0: It's Joy Foster, founder of Tech Pixies, and I am delighted you have joined us today on the Sparkle and Thrive podcast. I have a very special guest for you. Uh, Her name is Michelle Gemma, and she is here to talk about why it's important for us as women uh, to be talking about equal pay. So welcome, 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 Michelle. I'm so glad you're here.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So tell us how you got started on this journey of uh, someone who is a huge advocate for equal pay.
1: Um, I kind of fell into it by accident, but I think, you know, lots of people fall into what they do by accident. So I spent about 10 years at the Equality and Human Rights Commission. Um, and their remit is to advise employers, service providers and education establishments on what the Equality Act says and how to implement it in the workplace. You can minimise discrimination, etc. So the work that I was doing was around equal pay gender pay gap, and pregnancy, maternity, discrimination, all those fun topics that employers love, love to talk about.
0: But it is such a huge problem. And we're in the middle of a series, or we've been in the middle of a bunch of different series, one on um, earn what you're worth, and then we're doing one on playing big. And, you know, one of the things that we we know is that women aren't playing big enough, that they're not, uh, they're not, Charging enough, they're not earning what they're worth, and uh, you add into it, like you said, the mix of the topics that employers don't really want to talk about, they don't really want to deal with. Um, then you know it's 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 tricky because you want to play big, you want to charge more, you want to earn what you're worth, uh, but then the people that you're up against don't really value that. So, what's your advice to a woman, uh, regardless of uh, you know? There's two there's two elements here, right? There's The background of being a woman and then there's the background as well um, of being a woman and being a non-white woman, which we know from our conversation with Adrienne Herbert from Power Hour, the book Power Hour, that, you know, not only does a woman get paid less, but a woman who's not white gets paid even um, less than a woman who's white. So how do we how do we deal with this? How do we approach the subject and how do we move forwards and negotiate a rate that we should be getting without having to bring all of the stuff that the employer doesn't want to deal with or doesn't like to deal with or the contractor doesn't want to deal with or doesn't like to deal with.
1: Yeah, I think the first thing to remind ourselves is that, you know, this is not a problem of our creation. And I think sometimes when, you know, when we're looking at what, you know, what is it that I can do, it can feel like such a big problem to solve and it can sometimes feel too big. So the easiest thing to do is just kind of accept that this is just the way that it is, and I should be grateful that I have a job, or grateful that I have clients, and be okay with that. But because the systems is bigger than us, we have to remember that you know there are different things that need to happen for us to have equal pay and you know, pay gap parity, and there are things that organisations need to do. And then there's the stuff that we can do. And what we focus on is the stuff that that we can do. And remember that, you know, we're, we're in a work system that was never really designed for us. So that if you do start negotiating, you do start asking for more and you get pushback and you hear no, it's never about you. It's always about the system or other people's bias and perceptions and things. So I do think it's important to start with that premise of, you know you can only be responsible for yourself and it's not on you to fix the system you're just doing your bit taking control where you can and remembering not to take any setbacks as personal because it very very rarely is about you it's about other things outside of you
0: oh that's so powerful and I guess the reality is we've got to work within that system until that system changes. I mean, one of the things I think people are going to take away from the playing big series is that if women do play big and they build the companies themselves, they get to set the rules and they get to change the rules. And I know for sure uh, at Tech Pixies we've done a lot of rule changing. Um, We have some women who don't work during the school holidays and we figure out how to work with them and it works just fine. And it's obviously a little bit more complicated than someone who can work year round, but it doesn't mean that they're Not valuable when they are able to work. And so, you know, we've been able to sort systems out like that. Almost everyone on our team works flexibly. Uh, No one on the team apart from myself is full time. So we're also used to that. So I think that the the playing big series was really about encouraging women to say, look, if you don't like the way the system's set up, then you create your own system. And you can do that as an employer uh, when you are the boss and and you get to set those rules. But again, like you said, the system was not set up by women. Initially, it was set up by men. and, And at that very much was set up by white men. So um, the situation we're in now is the system is the system. We can either rise to the challenge and set up the, uh, our own systems or we can uh, work to change the systems. And that's a lot of what your job is. Tell us, tell us about how you are helping people work with the existing systems and how you help them to negotiate those salaries or to get the better
1: contracts. Uh, so I think, you know, the things that you raised just now is really important. And I always say to people, it's like ripple effects. you don't have to set out to like burn down the system and start all over again even though there are times when you feel like doing that but it's to remember okay if i'm here and i'm you know visible either as a woman or you know uh, because of my um, ethnic background and i ask for more i push back i flex the boundaries there are always people watching you and they might not say anything but you know people are always watching that that's human nature we see what everyone else is doing and it's that permission giving isn't it so if you give permission to yourself to ask for more money or to ask for that flexibility or ask for whatever the thing that is that you need in your career I can guarantee there are other people watching and even if you get a no even just the idea of oh I didn't know you could ask for that I didn't know that was an option and I hear that so much because we have this idea that the way that our work is structured is inflexible and that it's the best way of working. The number of times I've heard people say to me, Oh, I didn't know I could negotiate, or I thought that the salary was that was all that was available. And I'll say, No, this is what is pitched to you because they think this is the minimum that we can get away with, essentially. And if somebody asks, yeah, we'll have a conversation. But if they don't, we're going to keep our mouth shut. And so it's about understanding that yes, there are parameters and rules that are set out, but there's no harm in asking because you don't know what else is available because it's kind of these things, these conversations happen behind closed doors. And because we don't talk about very money very often, it almost feels like a secret club of a few people do. Know that you can ask for more and that you can push those boundaries. Um, whilst the rest of us don't and we think oh because of this, the way that the system is set up it must be correct it must be fair and then so many of us find out that that's not the case and then we're really surprised like oh, i thought my manager had my best interests at heart and it's like no your manager had a budget to work to had a job to do you know vacancies to fill you filled you filled it with the skills that you have but you didn't ask for more money so there you go so it's about understanding that you know you can you can always ask those questions and be prepared for what what might come if you do decide to ask
0: well it's really interesting because as you're saying that of course we can all relate to things that we've gone through with negotiations I've never looked at myself and thought I was a very good negotiator I've always sort of thought I was the person that you know just said this is what I want and then that's where we went from and and I don't think that necessarily has served me in the past but one of the interesting stories I have was when we were living in Switzerland and we were trying to decide if we were going to stay there. I had been recruited for a job and I the very first conversation I had with them, I said I I don't want to, you know, I don't want to like go down the money route too early, but I just want you to know I'm not going to be interested in this job if it's below six figures because we were living in Switzerland, I would have been the primary breadwinner and I just knew there was no way we could afford to stay there if it wasn't especially if i was going to give up being with my kids and i just said you know i don't want to go down the interview route if that's not the case so they put me through seven they said no 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 of course that's the budget we're working to whatever and they put me through seven interviews and then they came back and they said we think you're great we want you on board but we're not gonna you're know, gonna offer you a job that was 40 percent less than what i'd asked for And I just said, did you not like from the very first conversation that we had where I said, I won't I won't even consider the job if it's below one hundred thousand. Did you not hear that piece? And she just said, well, this is what we can offer you. And I said, well, I'm not interested, but you also just wasted about 15
1: hours of my life. Yeah. And that's that's so poor, because now whenever you think of that company or that recruiter, you always have that memory. And if anybody comes to you and says. Oh, I've seen this job and it's with this recruiter. You'll always have that story to tell. And, and I see this quite often. And for me, it's around, again, conversations about money are either non-existent or they're not transparent. And, and also, I don't know, was, was there a feeling that they thought that maybe they could negotiate you down you know, that you wanted this job so much and that you'll capitulate at the last minute when they offer you, you know, £60,000, you know, or Swiss francs or whatever instead. And I, and I have to ask myself, you know, would they have done that to to a white man as well? You know, who knows? But again, it's that thing of not having adult conversations about money. So for you, that was a priority. You communicated what you needed really well and they came back and said no. So I'm hoping that you didn't think, oh, it's because I wasn't worth it. I'm hoping that you took that as they had their own reasons for doing that. But I have to stick to my boundaries and go somewhere else.
0: I think you're right. I think for me, it was in that particular case. I just knew that I, I was not going to sacrifice time with my children. And because sac- the job, I the thing about that job is it was a 24-7 job. You know, it was an all in job. And it's like, I'm not taking an all in job. If I'm not going to get compensated for an all-in job, right? And I think that was where I started to know my personal value. And that's where when I was looking for jobs, I sort of said, well, if I can, and actually what happened was when we moved back to the UK, I got to the point where I could not find a job that that you could use my skill set and pay me what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So that's when I said, you know what? If I can't find the job, I'm going to create the job. And that's when I created my own company. And you know, to be fair, it's taken me a long time to get to my salary that I, you know, my dream salary, and I'm still working towards it. But I will say that for me, that was the decision maker between working for somebody else or working for myself, I just knew I had no, I didn't have the same ceiling on my salary when I worked for myself that I had when I was working for somebody else. And especially when I was trying to move away from freelancing and into like, let's build a proper, like, and when I, let me just re a freelancing company is a proper company. But what I mean, like, let's build a company that's got employees. Let's mm-hmm. build a company that's bigger than myself. You know, that mm. you know, it's not about me. It's about the mission. It's about the movement. It's about the, the social enterprise. That's what I mean by that. So, you know, I'd already done the freelancing thing. I was done with doing freelancing. I, I was, if I was going to work for an employer and give my all to an employer, I then had to be compensated for that. And the alternative was, okay, I'm going to build my own thing. And that's, you know, and I think if you, if those, those of you who are listening to this and watching this and who also listen to the play big series, you're going to know that most of the women who then turned into the playing big mode, they went and built their own business because they couldn't find what they wanted in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. And that I think a lot of employers are quite short sighted in in the way that these conversations are held in terms of you know whatever career career conversations pay conversations etc and it's almost like they are wanting you to play small because they don't see you as a big player and you know there comes a point where you have to make that decision you know do you stay and continue to push to play big in you know the workplace you're in or a different one or do you try and you know create something for yourself and I have I've been in exactly that exactly the same same position couldn't find something that was meaningful work and paid well and had you know a degree of flexibility so eventually after I had my second baby I was like oh I have to create it for myself because (laughs) because it's not here (laughs) yeah totally, totally relatable
0: oh and I think that's actually I think unfortunately for for employers they're probably missing the fact that this is happening on a large scale with women. Uh, I think we're seeing it because we're all in the entrepreneurial world with other women and we're seeing women just break off and do their own thing. And the pandemic really created that environment where a lot of women lost jobs and then they thought, well, I'm not going back to a job. I'm going to create my own job. Mm. And so, and, that, and that's happening. And we see that happening all the time in the tech Pixies community. Um, so let's say someone has made that shift and let's say they've built up their own company and they're trying to negotiate, uh, something with, you know, they're either doing freelancer contract work and they're trying to negotiate that, or they're trying to negotiate something, uh, you know, with a supplier or they're trying, they've got that job that they're interested in, but they're trying to negotiate that salary. What are your, what are your top tips around negotiating equal pay for, for women? And also let's not skip around the fact that, if you're a non-white woman, it's even harder to do that. So let's also touch on that.
1: Yeah, so I think the, the first thing is to really focus on what your, what your value is and, and understand the value that you bring to an organization. Again, it can be so easy, and I'm probably generalizing here, but it can be so easy for us to downplay the things that we do because we do them often, or we're good at them, or it doesn't take us very long. But, you know, what you are providing is of value to your organization or a value to your clients. So I'll give an example. Just this morning, I was uh, writing a proposal to to do some training for some line managers around how to have better conversations about pay so that women like us don't just leave, leave the workplace and start our own businesses instead. And I could sense that my, my numbers were, were really small and I had to take a step back and I was like, no, just because this is easy and fun for you doesn't mean that you charge less. So I had to go back and say, okay, what is the benefit to the organization in terms of making money, saving money, you know, recruitment um, attraction, talent, retention, et cetera. And when I added all those things up, I was like, okay that is huge so the number needs to be bigger it needs some extra zeros etc so it is about going back to the value that you bring whether you are freelance or whether you are an employee so if you're an employee have you saved your company money have you made them more money have you streamlined a process have you designed a new process have you I don't know, brought on lots more sponsorship. Um, you know, are you a whiz at their PR and now they've got massive clients? You know, sit down and really quantify what have you done for the organization from a business perspective, because that will make it much easier for you to make your case for why it is that you want, you know, better compensation and have a look around at the market as well to get an idea of a benchmark, not so that you can pin yourself on that because it's an average. But to give yourself a baseline and then you go, right, Okay, so that's the baseline. But because I'm me and I have these skills, how much extra is that? And so that when you have that conversation, whether it's with a hiring manager, line manager, HR, whoever, you can back up your data with evidence as to why you feel that this is the right number for you.
0: Yeah. And then I guess we're talking you know, male versus female, but we're also talking about the multiculturalism that we're all living in as well. And a lot of that has been heightened in this last year with um, various different incidents that have really raised the, the awareness of what's been sitting there for a very long time and has not been solved. Um, so what's your advice to women from BAME backgrounds when they want to negotiate something because they've got that double, the the double,
1: yeah, I think, you know, like with everything, information is power. So, you know, and I guess this is, again, it's that thing of a systemic issue and you not having to solve everything. If you are a black or Asian woman and you have friends that you can have candid conversations about salary with, then, you know, do your due diligence and see if you can find out, even if it's just a salary range, because not everybody's going to be comfortable talking about this, but try and find out, you know, is there actually a discrepancy? The second thing you can do is you can speak to HR and ask them, have they done an equal pay audit or any kind of pay audit so that you have factual evidence that the system of pay is fair depending what their answer is, is going to be quite telling. If they've done one and they can tell you the stats and say, we found discrepancies and we've up-leveled everybody, we're confident, then great. I think quite a lot of organizations will probably say, we've got a fair pay system. And then when you ask for the equal pay audit, they might not have done one. And our recommendation is that one is done on average every three years. So then again, that's an opportunity for you to say well I'm concerned or I just want my concerns alleviated is this something that you're going to prioritize the other thing I would say is that if you are a white woman then you're looking for a way to demonstrate allyship talk about money with your black and Asian female colleagues as well you know and I think the more that we can normalize the conversations around money the less secrecy there is the less opaqueness and there's less space for inequities to hide and so it really is that you know that fact finding having those conversations with the with the right people and once you have some information you can then approach whether it's HR or your line manager and come at it from a place of concern or curiosity I just want to make sure that there is pay equity I've looked at the gender pay gap report for the organization for example and I just want to know what does that mean for me as a black woman if you can ask those questions in the way where you're just being curious. It makes it less threatening, but it also means that, you know, they know that you are looking for answers and then you can, you can glean a lot from the way that they respond to you. So if it becomes defensive and aggressive, clearly there's something to hide and you can ask yourself the question, okay, do I feel valued here? Do I want to stay? if they're open and transparent, they may be open to you know, education, to learning or to rectifying things, then that's great. But you can't do anything until you start kind of putting those pieces together and asking those relevant questions.
0: No, oh, that's really good. And I guess what you're saying is you're not necessarily asking it to the person who's interviewing it, but it's just reaching out to the HR people and saying, hey, I'm, I'm interviewing for a job and I'm just curious about that. Would you speak to your recruiter about that
1: as well? Would you ask them about it or is that something that would cause problems? Um, you, you, could, you could ask your recruiter because they might be privy to informa- that information. But again, it's like, you know they're not gonna tell you that unless you start asking these questions. But it also plants the seeds that you are somebody who will self-advocate and you're somebody that's passionate about Pay equity, and then it's up to organisations to decide: is this a priority for us? And if enough of us start doing it, it's that system and seismic shift, isn't it? I mean, I was talking working with one real estate organisation, and they were saying how they started getting questions in their interviews and in onboarding sessions about the gender pay gap, and they were really surprised. And I was saying. You know, the information is out there. You know, people are using this information to make career decisions. So, if you want to be an employer of choice, you have to be ready with those answers, which means you have to understand the data. And that means you have to care enough to be doing something about it. So, you have the right answers for people to help them feel that this is a place where I can be valued. Oh, I trust them that they're doing work. And I trust it's such a fundamental thing. I trust that I'm being paid fairly you know a fair will look different to to everybody but if i ask that question about pay and you start being really vague or defensive i immediately are going to think i'm not being paid fairly there's discrimination here and i have to make a decision do i want to stay and put up with it or do i want to go somewhere else and this is what employers need to be thinking about
0: that is so powerful okay now you mentioned equal pay audits now are these public documents and is there a place to go find them or is this something that's a little bit still uh hard to find maybe they have it maybe they don't have it you know how do how
1: does someone look this stuff up if they want to find out yeah okay so there's two things so with equal pay audits they are always done privately i've 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 yet to find an organization that's done one and then published it published it privately Uh, but what you can do is you can go onto the equality of human rights website and there's a section on there on equal pay questionnaires, and you can have a look to see what types of questions you can ask if you're concerned about an equal pay problem. So, that is an issue between you and a male colleague, or between somebody who might be Asian and white, and you might think there's a pay discrepancy, even though you're doing the same or similar work. In terms of your gender pay gap, which is looking at representation within the organisation and seeing where women sit or for ethnicity pay gap, where black and Asian people sit. If your company is 250 people or more, they have to report publicly every year on the gender pay gap. So that'll be on a specific government website and it should be on their website as well. That is open to the public. It's a really good place to glean information about what's probably happening behind closed doors have a look at the action plan and then start asking the relevant people how is that working out you know who's accountable you know what are the measurements and timelines for success etc and again the responses that you get or don't get will be very telling and it's all it's all data it's all information for you to then decide okay what do I do with this information now that I have it
0: Oh, so interesting. (laughs) I I remember when, um, I got a letter in the post, actually, I was, it was my very first job and well, my second job, it was my second job, but it was kind of like my first real job. You know, I was on a trading desk and I was an assistant trader and, um, and I remember getting an email or, I mean, getting a lit letter, a written letter saying we've done a, uh, We've done an audit of the pay at it for your level of work, and you're being underpaid. And I was being underpaid by something like twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> and I obviously someone had done something, and then I it I got I was the benefit of someone speaking up, right? So I ended up getting you know I got this huge raise, and I and it was it was literally a twenty thousand dollar raise. And I just remember going, you know, I was so young, I didn't realize the significance of that. But obviously another woman had stood up for herself, and I had benefited from that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and probably most likely, so either in that case, it sounds like either there was a threat of litigation, or maybe they had gone to tribunal and had lost, and maybe one of the remedies was that they had to do a pay audit. I mean, it's it's a shame sometimes it has to get that far, but that is, that's where we are in terms of pay transparency and all of that secrecy, but if we start to normalise conversations from both sides, so... As an employee, you know, talking about you know your pay, and us having regular pay conversations, but also as line managers and, and employers having open um, pay systems, etc. Hopefully, we can get to a place where it doesn't have to be the threat of litigation or after litigation that things actually change. But you know, getting a letter like that is 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 so it's so rare for that to be just. Because somebody took it upon themselves to investigate this, you know, that was looking at heading off problems in the future. Oh, for
0: sure. That's what I mean. Like someone was brave enough to sue them. (laughs) Exactly. exactly. And they probably lost their job over it, you know. And I think that's the, you know, I had another situation uh, with the company before that where they had invited all of the assistants out to a dinner and they had excluded the female assistants. The, The male assistants were invited, but the female assistants weren't invited. Um, and I remember going into the boss's office and sort of saying, uh, is this true? Like we're not invited to this dinner. And he said, well, yeah, you'll be a distraction. And I said, what do you mean by we'll be a distraction? And he said, well, you're young, you're blonde, you're single, you'll be a distraction to all the married men. And I just like, I, my jaw must have dropped. And he said, just sit down and we'll talk it through. And I said, "I'm sitting down. And I literally marched from his office to the HR office. And I was like, this is what he just said to me. And two weeks later, I was made redundant. And, you know, it's just and this is 20 years ago, when you know, you didn't know to speak up, you didn't know how to speak up, you didn't know what to say. And, uh, you know, I know now that what he did was wrong, what he said was wrong. I also know now it's, I could have sued him, but I didn't know that then, you know, and I think, I think it does take a brave woman to go through that, because she will get crucified in the paper if she does stand up for herself. But I think now it's, maybe a little bit better, but, um, you know, it's not going to, hopefully the companies are starting to make the decisions to not get to that point, you know, and that's a lot of the work that you're helping to do. Uh, and obviously, like you said, this is about everyone starting to ask the questions so that the questions become normalized, so that the companies realize that this is something
1: that they need to do, right? So, And, it, and it's becoming of more interest to in more organizations, you know, not only from Uh, a kind of talent and recruitment side of things, but also from investors and and, and stakeholders as well, you know, starting to ask more questions about diversity, inclusion uh, and equity. And, you know, the supply chain is is a huge place where that can really be embedded, where, you know, if you're to do business or to to win business, you know, you have to showcase that you are doing everything that you should be doing. And, you know, a really easy way to look at that what what are your pay gaps like you know what is your what's your diversity numbers and looking at you know where are people situated within an organization that can be, it's a very crude measurement but it's a good conversation starter as to what is actually happening within your organization so it's becoming something that's so, something that's important from different lenses and so as we see employers now have a lot more responsibility in thinking, okay, well, how do I embed this throughout the organization rather than it being a piecemeal thing that I pay lip service to as it were.
0: Yeah, I mean, the work you're doing is so important and I'm just really glad that you could take time out of your day to spend with us and to answer questions about equal pay. Um, I think you've given some incredibly powerful tips for what you need to say, how you need to ask the questions, also given us some great guidance on where to go look if we want to see how the company that we're applying to work for or that we're you know wanting to do some contract work for is actually approaching this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Michelle, I want to thank you for your time today. I want to thank you for your wise words you have a very um lovely calm demeanor i am like the energ- energizer bunny and i had to. <laughs> I, I was like whoa this gal is she is calm and i love that because actually i can imagine so much of this work can be charged with energy and frustration and anger and actually what you bring to the table is this very calm very rational very you know forward thinking approach to the best way to, pr- to to go forwards on this and i just so want to thank you for that. And, and just thank you for that gift because not all of us uh, have the ability to stay as calm and as filled out as you do. And I wish I had that I've learned so much from you and I've loved this, this time we've had together. Um, is there, are there any words that you'd like to leave either for employers who might be listening to this or for women from all backgrounds who might be listening to this and, and thinking about their next moves, any final words or of advice?
1: Yeah, I I think my my advice would be around, you know, just because, you know, you have a situation is that's the way that it is doesn't mean it has to be forever that, you know, there's always a first time for everything. So if you look around and you don't see anyone else asking those questions or making the moves that you want to make, it's safe for you to be the first. And that goes both for individuals, but also for employers, too.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so great. And I do hope this empowers, you know, and I think it's that idea of that it's like a snowball effect, right? Or it's like the water dripping effect. It's like, you know, just if we do a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, suddenly the impact will be there. And it's, it's like the planting a seed, you know, you don't see it forever. And then it comes out and then suddenly you've got the the, the shoot or the tree or the bamboo stick, whatever it is. But I just, mm. I love this concept of be the change you wanna see. And uh, and it starts with you and and also be brave enough. You know, we talk a lot at Tech Pixies about be brave, you know, be brave and sparkle. And that's what it's about. It's about being okay with being the first person to stand up for it because you're not going to be the last but you might bring others with you. Um, so thanks again, Michelle, for your time. I hope to get you back on the podcast again someday. It's been a pleasure getting to to get to know you and spend some time with you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it.